0: this is gonna hurt hurt. it's time time for the suffering Suffering Podcast. podcast it's a special type of person that runs towards the danger putting your life on the line without any thought of the consequences to yourself putting the needs of the many before the needs of your own knock on the devil's door often and somebody's going to answer when the devil answers the nightmare begins and he hopes that you'll be easy prey and give up quickly The choice to live or die is not so easy. Dying turns the pain off, while living turns the pain up. Carrying the burden of survival is a never-ending battle that lasts forever. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felice, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we welcome a very special guest, and that's Josh Fidel, to discuss the suffering of the wounded. Josh has survived, I think you'll agree with me, every police officer's worst worst nightmare. Every police officer and their family's worst nightmare. Josh, thanks so much for traveling all this way. You, you had a bailout from your partner. Yeah. Wait till I give him some crap for, for bailing out on you. <laughs> it's all yeah, good. Yeah, listen, Bill. Family's more important. Fa- but you're his family. Yeah, but he had, it, I give him the pass <laughs> for what he had to deal with. <laughs> Just give him some crap on the back end. That's yeah, all right. I will. Before we go any it. further, though, I want to give a big shout out to our marquee sponsor. That's Toyota of Hackensack. We don't trust anybody, but we do trust Toyota of Hackensack. So if you're looking for a car, go to them. Go to toyotahackensack.com. Let them find you a car. Josh, it's nice to have some South Jersey blood in here, man. You know? I
1: know. It's weird being up here.
0: <clears throat> I'm used to it now. Right. When I go down there, it, it's like a different world to me anymore, although it's built up the same Are
2: way. Are both the over the Eagles lost yet, or is it is it still sinking in?
0: No, I'm not over it yet. I'm, I'm, Chief, I'm a Chiefs fan. Yeah, it, it is what it is. You know? <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is up here – you never see anybody wearing Eagles stuff. The day before, uh, the week before the Super Bowl, I saw green jackets everywhere. And the other day in the gym, I saw a Chiefs jacket. I'm like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. God, you
2: traitor. Break. You it's go, enemy territory, man. You don't wear anything down in Philly or
0: Zelda. No, days. no. And my son, I teach my son the same way. I said, you <clears> rub that shit right in. Absolutely. <laughs> Try walking down a Wildwood boardwalk with a Chiefs jacket on now. No, you'll be tarred and feathered. Yeah. Josh, every week we take a we take a question from one of our audience members. This week's question comes from M underscore X. And it says, what do you consider to be success? I think what they're asking is, is how do you define success? And I thought this one was good for you because I imagine in the past couple of years going through what you've gone through, your definition of success has probably changed. Definitely. So what do you think?
1: For me personally, I would say just not giving up. And having happiness and health—that's
0: that's a pretty basic goal for success. Yeah. You know, happiness
2: and health. Because without that, you got nothing, right? Mike, what do you think? You know, I mean, to me, success is waking up every morning. You know, the, the things we've been through and, and some of the things we've seen. And depends on who you're talking to. Yeah, you true. waking up in the morning might be failure to somebody else. Yeah, you
0: got that right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. And, and I think the most thing, the most important thing, is happiness. You know, everybody said, you know, you see, well, the successful businessmen, you know, they they get a lot of money. Does that really bring you happiness? That's that's a. I mean, I'd love to be rich yeah. and, and pissed off at everybody. But I've seen just as many miserable <clears> people. Poor and happy. I
0: rather <throat> I've seen just as many wealthy people. They're just absolutely miserable human beings.
1: Absolutely. So yeah. I, I don't I think that. money
0: is money is, is a metric for success. Definitely not. You know, years ago, I read this book called, it was The Millionaire Next Door. And in this book, it, t- it, it basically went through like the average millionaire, what they wear like a three to $500 suit. It's, it's very humble, like the average millionaire. They live in a, a $500,000 house or a $300,000 house. But one of the things in this book it did is it, it really defined success and failure. Because everybody knows the word success. Everybody knows the word failure. But if you ask somebody to define it, it's a very daunting task. And what they said was the definition of success is exceeding expectations. The definition of failure is falling below expectations. In the dating world, this is – men set themselves up for failure all the time. Your first anniversary, you give your wife three dozen roses, right? Yeah. All right. Next year, maybe it's two dozen roses. You still gave her two dozen roses. All right? Right. But you failed. You failed. I used to say this with, with the police world. I used to know guys that never took a sick day, like you, never took a sick day. And I would take a sick day when I was sick. I wasn't abusing the system, but maybe I'd take, you know, five this year and three the following year. Well, if you look at the metrics of it, I succeeded because they're expecting me to take five. (laughs) You know, if you took two, which is still less than the three, you failed from coming from a zero year. So again, it's setting yourself up for success by having reasonable expectations. That's the bottom line to this. M underscore X, thank you so much for sending that in. Keep thank sending you in much. your questions, and we'll try to get them on the air. So Josh Vidal, and we we've, we've been talking about you. We've been wanting you in here ever since we met you. At, yeah. like I followed you, and and the reason I followed you is I'm a South Jersey kid. I have a lot of friends on the Atlantic City Police Department that I grew up with. That I went to school with, including your your partner. Yeah, and uh, so when your incident happened in 2016. I watched everything, and you know, of course, I, like every other police officer, I prayed thanks, tooth and nail to get to, for you to get through this. Thanks, man. Um, so I I know a little bit more about you, and when I saw you at that event, I recognized you immediately. I'm like, yep, that's him. Yeah, and then Bill and I got off talking about. Holy Spirit High School. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Of course, you guys knew each other. The one person, but Billy
1: knows everybody everywhere.
0: Well, believe it. Well, Billy knew my brother because my brother's an officer in South Jersey. I never knew Billy. Oh, no. Bill Mazer, who's who we're talking about. Uh, I never knew Billy. Billy was a little bit older than me. I'll okay. remind him of that every every time I see him now. But him and Still i pretty though yeah he's he's, he's a good looking man he is you know if i was going that way right. we got a couple of people you can set him up with <laughs> <that what> you <laughs> south
2: jersey guys talk about good looking guys i've never been oh, one geez. so i i wouldn't know but billy and but i have compliment you can get is getting hit on by another dude
0: look <laughs> like kevin did yeah, that's, yeah see see you see thanks oh. nick and mark just keep doing what you're doing <laughs> um you know, it's a law it's a different world up here in North Jersey. I I listen, I've lived up in North Jersey now more than I've lived in South Jersey. Wow. And um but the one thing that that binds us together, especially in New Jersey, when an officer goes through a critical incident, we do rally around our own. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. So, Unbelievable. Josh, like I said, I know enough about you. <clears throat> Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, do a, I just look? At yeah. You. Just, oh. you just look wherever you want to look. Okay. So <laughs> if you want to look in the camera and look pretty, go ahead. Go do uh, your thing, man. I
1: don't want to break this camera.
0: I can't afford to replace it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, what you're going to find out in this episode is Josh has one of the most messed up senses of humor <laughs> I've ever right heard in, in my life. Just a quick story before you tell our audience who you are. Okay. Josh was in a shooting incident in 2016. So when I'm speaking to him last night, he says, well, my ride canceled out. You know, I'm looking for another ride. I guess I'll just bite the bullet and drive up here myself. I'm pretty good at biting bullets. <laughs> so I'm like, Jesus, I think man. I said eating bullets is my superpower. That's it. That's exactly what you
1: said. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you? Okay, so I'm a retired police officer. I was on 10 years, and I got into a shooting on duty, interrupting an armed robbery,
0: at Caesars, correct?
1: Yeah, right outside the Caesars parking garage. Yeah. And we weren't responding to a call. We were just driving around looking for somebody. And we just happened to roll up in the middle of an armed robbery. Oh,
0: you, didn't, you weren't responding anywhere?
1: No, we, uh. we weren't prepared at all. Oh, wow. We rolled up right in the middle of it. And then when I got out of the car to engage the gunman, when I saw the gun, I went right into action. And I got out of the car to engage him. And I had tunnel vision. I was focused on where he was going to be when I got out of the car. And I didn't realize he started running past me. And as he's running past me, he just picked up the gun and started firing. And the first round caught me in the head.
0: Now, did did you see? Was it a handgun? Was it? Yeah. It was it was a handgun. Yeah, it was a revolver. Yeah. It was a revolver. Mm-hmm. So he got a lucky shot.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, but unfortunately, lucky for him is very unlucky for you. <laughs> um, after after that bullet, what what do you remember? Everything. You remember? So you were totally lucid and conscious the whole time.
1: Yeah, I didn't know I was shot until they got me to the hospital.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, the blood didn't give it away.
1: Well, I I was—I fell backwards on my back. Yeah, I heard the first gunshot. I fell backwards on my back. I still had my gun in my hand, but everything shut off. Like my body just went numb, and I, I was trying to get back. I was trying to sit up to get back into the gunfight. And just nothing would work. And I'm like, what the... I'm thinking, like, you know, what the F's going on? Like, why can't I move? And then I heard more successive gunfire. <clears throat> and I didn't know where that gunfire was coming from. It was, just, it was coming out so fast. It sounded like an automatic weapon. And I'm, like, thinking, I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, we're out gunned here. I thought maybe the other two suspects had like an automatic weapon. I'm like, we're outgunned here. Like, I need to get back into this fight. And nothing was working. So I'm like, why can't I get up? And then gunfire stops. And I hear my partner on the radio yelling, you know, shots, fire, shots, fire. Uh, officer down, my partner's hit. And I'm laying, I'm looking up. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? I'm hit like, I felt no pain whatsoever. And then he comes running over to me. And he's shaking me. He's like, Josh, you all right? And I could see his face was as white as, you know, the walls in here. And he's terrified. I'm like, I'm trying to say, you know, what what's going on? Like, help me up. And nothing would come out. I just, I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. I just, I was like stuck in my body. You're like that
0: uh, Metallica song, One. Yeah. That's exactly I'm what the, I could. The video imagine. from One. Yeah. yeah. Where you just locked inside your own body.
1: Yeah. And I, I've never, I, I've always loved that song. I never saw the video, but. I've heard it after the shooting, and every time I hear it like it gives me the chills thinking about like that song
0: yeah it's it's uh it's it's obviously about uh somebody who goes down during a critical incident they and they're they're conscious, but everybody around them doesn't know that they're conscious mm-hmm. now, your partner I'm assuming you've spoken to your partner that night since the shooting, oh yeah, yeah, um, absolutely, so who do you think was more scared you or him
2: Probably him. Yeah, because yeah, Josh every, didn't know what was going on. He, Your partner was seeing this thing Yeah, and everyone firsthand. else had showed up right after. <laughs> yeah.
1: So as soon as you you want me to continue? Or? Absolutely. Right ahead. Okay. So he's yelling on the radio for backup. More guys start showing up. And he, Tommy's yelling on the radio, you know, where's the ambulance? And the ambulance was staging because it was an active gun
0: battle going on. Do you want to give your partner's name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Tom, Tom McCabe. Tom McCabe. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I thought you were going to say Tom Holton. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I know Tom.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um wow. So actually I actually chose Tommy as a partner. Yeah. Because we made we had a connection on one call one time and like I just knew his background in the military, he was a go-getter like me. He wasn't afraid to go hands-on. So I'm like, you know, this guy con- compared to other people that I worked with yeah, you know, there was the older guys that didn't want to do shit.
2: <laughs> oh, believe me, we know. <laughs>
1: and then there was the young go-getters. And I just connected with him on one call one time. I'm like, I want this guy to be my partner. And my wife gave me shit about it because back then we had to have the same days off as our partners. And at that time, I think I might have had like nine years on. And Tommy was, had just gotten on. And he had you know shitty middle of the weekdays. I could have had Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And I picked his days off. My wife gave me shit. Why did you yeah. pick those days off? Why didn't you know, you could have the weekends off with, with me and the girls. I'm like, well, listen, I put it to her like this. I could have shitty days off and come home in one piece, or I could have good days off and end up dying at work. Cause I, I get stuck working with the slugs hmm. and she's like, all right, fair enough. And, that's one of the best decisions I ever made on the job was having Tom as my partner.
0: You know, the uh, one of the things that people don't realize is is you have a city cop. We're suburban cops. You have a city cop and everybody every suburban cop thinks, wow, you know, they must be they must be these these go-getters, that always busy type of guys. But what I found <laughs> out is there's just as many slugs in the inner cities as there are in the suburbs. It's it's <clears throat> It's a level playing field across the board.
2: Yeah. When I first transferred to my department, they used to switch it with people all the time. You get, you know, you get hooked up with a a go-getter on midnight. Midnight flies by. Oh yeah. Oh, you get hooked up so with one of these easy. slugs. Oh yeah. We yeah. had guys who used to just pull behind headquarters and go to sleep all night.
0: Mm-hmm. I I'd go I
2: go in by the desk and I take the rest of the night off if I tell the lieutenant, listen, if I'm going to sleep, I'm going home to sleep. <laughs> there was
0: guys who used to bring pillows. I know, I know. These guys used to bring pillows, those, but
2: those neck rolls that they yeah. get on the airplanes and all that.
0: But yeah. I, w- I, was very fortunate very early on in my career to work with a sergeant who had twenty plus years on, and he was he was just one of these old time sergeants. But he, whenever he worked midnights with me, he would ask me this question: "Hey kid, you uh, you you get some sleep today? Yeah, I got some sleep. You want to do something or you want to relax? It's your choice." Because he knew, he knew that I wanted, I was a young officer and I wanted to work. Like the, right. that. That takes that takes maturity. That takes experience, and that takes a special type of leader. And most of the time, I'd say ninety nine percent of the time, yeah, I want to work because there's nothing worse to me than than doing nothing. There
2: there are some nights where you're feel, you're just not feeling it. Yeah, you know and you don't over, you do know, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to do something. You know maybe you're tired. Maybe you're not feeling good. Maybe you had a rough day at home with you know with the kids or whatever. Yeah, and you know a good supervisor will take care of you at that point. No. You know, all well, you have to do is say, I'm not, I'm not really feeling it tonight. That's a good supervisor. A good <clears throat> yep. supervisor
0: will check with you because you're only as good as your partner. Absolutely. Obviously. At what point during this whole ordeal did you finally come to terms with, hey, I'm I'm shot? So when, when they
1: found out the ambulance was staging, they weren't coming to get me, whoever the, was there, I'm not sure if it was Tommy or one of the other guys, said, you know, they're they're fucking taking it along. We gotta take them ourselves. And then they pick me up and they're trying to get me in the backseat of the patrol car. And as you know, the patrol car door is only open so far. Yeah. So you, you got these two big dudes picking trying holding dead weight. I was 185 at the time, So dead weight, trying to they're struggling to get me in the back seat, and as they're doing that, I could see the blood just pouring out of my head. But I didn't know it was my blood. I didn't know where the fuck the blood was coming from. And they're they're like Yeah, shit, shit, they're cursed, and we had to get him in his car. And Tommy runs around the other side. Yeah, I was going to say. He jumps in. in. Yeah, he grabs me and pulls me in the car, and he's holding my head in in his lap. And then the car starts moving. So I'm looking at him. I'm like, and he so he was driving. At that moment, he was driving. I always drove. I'll get back to that in in a little bit. So I'm looking at him. The car's moving. I'm like, all right, wait. He's here. I'm here. Like, who the fuck's driving the car? (laughs) Like I'm thinking, like I'm trying to process, like, who, if he's here, who's driving the car? And he's pu- he's putting pressure on the wound, and I didn't feel any like pain from in the bullet wound. but like, I guess my head must have slipped, or he was pushing so hard here. the uh, The left side of my head started hurting from the plastic. You know, the ba- the patrol seat, the yeah. back seats are plastic. So he was pushing so hard, pressure here, it was hurting over here. So I'm trying to fight him off, but I, I couldn't move. And in the car, we we get to the um, we get to the hospital, and the guy driving was coming. in. I remember specifically he was coming in so hot, he almost couldn't stop, and he almost drove into the trauma bay of the hospital. <laughs> the
0: the brakes, you ever get that on chases? Your brakes yeah. go out. Oh yeah. Yeah, your brakes, your brakes heat up and they, they no longer the work. Smell of burning brake pads. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's awful stuff.
1: Until we get there, they they pulled me out of the car, and now by this time, I'm able to move and talk. I'm, I'm only able to move my right, my right arm, so I'm holding on. I, Tommy was on my right,
0: so I'm holding on to the time like this. My head's hanging. The blood just pouring out of my head. And- Imagine the, 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 the people seeing you come in. You're coming in with your arm around somebody, blood pouring out of your head in uniform. Those
2: trauma people in the, that hospital, holy cow. I'm the, sure there was a trauma team waiting for you. They, they probably the, gave the hospital a heads up and said, "You know, we got yeah, an officer were, coming in."
1: They were the best of the best. I, like I, had, where'd you
2: go, Atlantic City Medical?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah fortunate for me, I was only a block away when the shooting happened, so they you know, they were they just had to go right around the corner. And as I'm holding on Tommy, the blood's pouring out, and it's I'll never remember. I'll never forget the sound. It was like if you took this water bottle and just dumped it out. That's what it. Sounded like, except it was like thick arterial blood. Yeah. so It was like slopping, it was like slopping on the on the pavement. Coagulated. Yeah, and I'm looking at him because I, I thought it was Tommy's blood. I didn't know it was my blood. So then the uh, the team comes running out. They got the stretcher. They're now they're starting to rip my uniform open, and I'm I'm I became combative. I'm smacking their hands away and I'm pushing them off of me because I'm thinking. These uniforms are expensive. Like, who the fuck's gonna <laughs> pay for this?
0: Like, I can't afford it. To... <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I, t- I, br- I tore my shoulder out one time. They were going. They took me uh, to the hospital. I couldn't move my arm. They were going to cut my uniform off. I go, nope, no, hang on. No. I can do this with one hand, and I get <laughs> off one hand. Because uh, you
1: know, my wife was now once pregnant at the time too. So I'm thinking, I can't afford a new uniform. I got to pay for a baby. <laughs> <laughs> who knows how long? And they, then they say, "Sir, you know, please cooperate. You've been shot." And I'm like, "Where am I shot?" I ask him. And they, when they said you were shot in the head, when they told me that, I'm like, oh, god, I'm gonna fucking die. Because in my mind, I was thinking nobody lives after getting shot in the head, especially you know us as cops. Yeah, exactly. we're unfortunate. You take a round in a leg or something, and ricochets, it hits an artery, or yeah, and you yeah, bleed out. Yeah. So I'm like, I got two things against me: one, nobody lives after getting shot in the head; two, I'm a cop, like I'm, I'm dead. So I start pleading with them, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. I got a baby on the way. Yeah. And they're like, we're not going to let you die. You just got to cooperate with us. I said, okay. And then they throw me on the stretcher. and I started getting sleepy, and I knew what was happening. I'm bleeding out. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm about to die. And I wanted to go to sleep. And that's all it was. Like, I was terrified because I'm shot. But I was also, it was kind of like dying was easy i could have just closed my eyes and went to sleep and that was it and as i was closing my eyes tom tommy starts yelling at me josh josh stay awake stay with us stay with us so i'm like i'm staying awake now i'm thinking about my wife my two daughters my pregnant wife my two daughters at home were you calm at this point yeah yeah Yeah, i was calm but i was when i started thinking about my wife and my my two kids i got pissed off
2: calm (laughs) calm, but shitting yourself on the inside yeah (laughs)
1: like i got i was i was fucking angry yeah. Because I'm thinking, I had this guy dead to rights, but he got me first. So now I'm angry. He got me first. I'm not going to see my wife and kids because I'm, I'm about to die. So that anger, where in the, my entire life where anger has been a detractor, it's hurt me. That night, it saved my life because that, ang- that anger motivated me and gave me the adrenaline rush to, to stay awake, to keep fighting. And they get me into the trauma bay. And, they, you know, they're doing the assessment on me. They're they're asking me questions, my name. They're checking my eyes. And I could hear everyone, the nurses and doctors, they're running around. It was like controlled chaos. They're yelling at each other, do this, do that, grab this. We need this to prep him for the OR. And so then they start cutting my pants off. And I didn't say this one part, but I'll get back to that later. But anyway, so before I left to work, uh, I'm going to preface this. Before I went to work, you know, we're preachers of habit. We have, um, what do they call it? Tuesday pants and Wednesday pants? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. We're like, as humans, we're creatures of habit. We have certain ways that we do things over and over. Absolutely. And and every night I would sleep a little bit before work. I'd wake up, I'd work out, shower, shave, do whatever, and go. This particular night, I started manscaping while my wife was in the (laughs) bathtub.
2: (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm gonna ma- see your shaved legs. And your sha- no, it's something else I think yeah. is gonna be shaved. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, exactly. yeah, I was, no, you know, I
1: was trimming, trimming things up, trimming and hedges. You were, you were. in the, the, the jungle. The, sh- the shorter the grass, the taller the trees. You
0: know, so. <laughs> and the more times you get to play golf. Right there, yeah. you go.
1: And so my wife, she starts you know, giving me shit about it. She's like, "Who are you doing that for?" Oh no. And I'm like, "Nobody." And famous last words, I'm like, "It's in case I get shot. I can. Do, I got to be presentable to the nurses." and sure enough i went and got yeah. shot that night so as they were cutting my pants off and because she was giving me so much shit about it i i did a half i did a half ass job so yeah like a mohawk yeah one side was done the other side was it was like a chia pet <laughs> so, so as they're cutting my pants off i'm laying there uh, here i am dying i'm laying there thinking what the fuck's my dick look like right now?
2: Man? <laughs> Could you keep my underwear on, please? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but, no, I, mean, that, I don't
1: know you well enough. That just goes to show you, you know, like, where your mind goes in a traumatic moment. And that, that goes with every every traumatic event. A good friend of mine who went to Afghanistan multiple times, I remember he was telling me a story about a gunfight he was in with a Taliban. And the truck got hit with an RPG and luckily it missed him, but they used to carry propane tanks on the side of the trucks and because the rpg hit the truck it blew up the propane tank but it didn't explode it just like pressure release and it caught fire and it was bouncing as he's in the middle of this gunfight it's bouncing in the middle of the gunfight and he said he remembers looking at the tank bouncing like why the hell is there a burning fireball bouncing between us and the taliban in the middle of a firefight but he was just like in that traumatic moment his mind just was in seeing things differently and that's attribute I attribute that to any any traumatic event yeah absolutely so that's where my mind was you know I'm dying but I'm thinking about what my dick looks <laughs> like now. and it was cold it was cold in there
0: too so. <laughs> uh, that's always that's always my excuse whenever that had to happen yeah. like it's yeah. cold in here that's-
1: my partner still breaks my balls about that he's like dude you got a tiny dick <laughs> I'm like bro. I'm like I'm bleeding out the the head. The blood's coming out of the wrong head. or are going to the wrong head. Not only,
0: <laughs> not only you got shot in the head, but you also got a bad case of small cocks. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and you're and you're half manscaped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> that's
0: that's crazy that you even thought about that stuff. Yeah. Now where where exactly on your head were you? Where did the bullet hit? Uh, I don't know if you can. I can pull this back a little bit. So
1: if right. Right around here, you can see all the scars, but yeah. it was like right at the top. So it was like if I was sh- a little shorter, it would have probably skimmed the top of my head. If but you're it, a little taller. Right, you know. it would have hit me in the neck. Yeah. And, I, and I always think uh-huh. about what could have been. What it you know, could have, should have, right? One little misstep or one different thing I could that could have happened differently. I, I'd be dead or I'd be you know, stuck in a bed as a vegetable or something.
0: I'm surprised you didn't hear it because the amount of force to break a skull is amazing. And yep. I, you, I'm, I know it broke your skull. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm surprised you didn't hear it, like because you were awake and you were, yeah. you were conscious during all I this.
1: Mean, yeah, I got hit. I felt that part, but I just, I didn't know. It was like I got hit in the head. I just mm. I felt <clears throat> backwards. My partner, he said he heard me like go ooh like that. You know, like he heard me get hit, and then because he took off running after the suspects, he returned. He returned fire, and. Once they lost, he lost sight of him, he, he took off after him to see where they ran, and then he came back for me to,
2: to check on me. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before, too, audio exclusion. You know, when you're in that fight, you know, your, your hearing shuts down. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why he didn't hear.
0: That's the funniest thing in the world because I, I experienced that as well Yeah, so in, I. My, in my shooting. I, you know, you, you're in the range qualifying twice a year. And every he once did. in a while, I used to just lift my my ears up just to just to get a, a taste of the bang. Just yeah. you know, you you want to see what it's like, and it mm-hmm. rings your ears.
2: Or if another team's on the line and you guys are sitting by the break table or something, and yeah. they start going live, you son of a bitch, you could yeah. tell me that. You know. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Um but, but when you're involved in it, when I'm, and during my shooting, my sh- my shots sound like this. Yeah,
0: I I didn't hear any ringing in my ears, no tinnitus, nothing. no nothing. Uh, really, yeah, it seems like mine was heightened.
2: Yeah, I see I didn't yeah. hear well, any. Of they, them. they they say that certain senses get heightened. Usually your ears shut down and your your eyesight gets heightened.
1: Yeah. And the doctors, they don't <sighs> understand like, nobody can explain why I was still conscious and how I am I'm able to remember such minute details so vividly. And like I told this story before I heard anything. I didn't know I had no I didn't talk to anybody before I was telling the story. I just went into, the first time actually I told it was to the prosecutor's office when they interviewed me for the trial.
0: So how much surgery did you have to go through before you're going to maintain your life?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I went to the, through the initial surgery that night where they removed uh, the whole this whole right half of my skull from here all the way back to back here. The whole entire skull was removed.
0: I saw a picture of you with a hat on and you could see the indent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually,
1: I mean, I, I got I got pictures on my one Instagram that shows it's actually, my head was scalloped.
0: There was a news reporter that used to go on TV. He got hit with an IED in one of these places, and he used, he lost half his, same thing, kind of lost half mm-hmm. his skull. But he used to go on TV like that before he got it fixed. Wow. Yeah. Just, I, I used to have to
1: wear a helmet, and I can't believe he would do, go, like, walk around without a helmet. Because I had to wear a, a helmet. Yeah, I saw I, you when you came out protected. of the hospital, yeah. Whenever I was like, out of a seated or laying down position, I would have to wear this helmet because nothing was protect, protecting my brain. I, I used to be able to push on my brain, and when my wife would- Can talk, you
0: push on your brain, your leg move? No,
1: my dick would get <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, just Honey, press this button right yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Called it the V
0: button. The <laughs> <laughs>
2: but
1: anytime I'd get my hair cut- the clippers when they would cut here softly, the clippers would vibrate my brain, and I could feel my eyeballs vibrating too.
0: Holy cow! That's crazy. Yeah, it was insane. So, how long did you have to live like that with ha- missing half your skull? Six and a
1: half months. Six and a half months.
0: And what was the reason that they waited so long? Swelling. Yeah, swelling. Okay. Because yeah, I had a, a ton of swelling, and <laughs> what else?
1: I think it's most of the swelling. Make sure everything was was. Um,
0: now, before we get almost, into almost, any of your recovery. Days. Tell me about the suspects. Tell me about these these pieces of garbage.
1: All right, so they actually weren't even from the city. They were from, I believe, like Camden or what the hell's around there, like Millville. Like it was this. It was near Camden. They were from that area. I forget Bridgeton. They were from Bridgeton area. From
0: Bridgeton. Yeah, but Bridgeton always used to be a pretty nice area. And
1: they apparently not. Yeah, they came. They came to the city specifically to rob somebody. And Atlantic City goes through different phases where, you know, one gang is in power for a while. The department does their investigation. They, you know, they arrest a a big group of them. They're out. Then somebody else tries to move in. It's like a power. Everybody's always struggling for the power of controlling the drug trade there. So these... Philly and Camden guys would always come to the city to rob the AC guys or kill them or whatever. It was back and forth. So they came to the city specifically to to rob an AC drug dealer.
2: Well, it's got to be like shooting fish in a barrel. You you know you hope someone you hope the guy you're robbing is one that night and he's walking out with a ton of cash on him.
1: Yeah, and
2: th- these guys are
1: smart. They pr- approached the victims and asked them, hey, you know, we want to buy some weed." And they were gonna do the deal, but then the the suspects wanted more. They're like, "Nah, we want like an ounce," because they were gonna rob and kill them for for the ounce, as as drug dealers do. And you know, they they stalked them all night. They have them on on uh, camera on surveillance, like stalking the the victims for a while that night. And then they finally got them on in that alleyway and pulled them
0: in. And then up you come. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Just passing by. And did they 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 finally cut, catch him? Obviously, they did. I know they did. But
1: yeah. The, so there was three. The initial shooter, he died that night. My partner shot and killed him. And then the other two, they they ran. They got on the train
0: back to like Camden, Bridgeton area. Your your partner. So your partner. Let's 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 do an after action report on what your partner has gone through this night. Mm-hmm. Shot and killed, which carries legal ramifications and mental ramifications on down the line. Seeing his partner clinging to life, and and your partner, you take a a, a bit of responsibility for your partner's well being when you're on the road. It's absolutely, it's a brotherhood.
2: Yes, yeah. your partner's your brother. He's you know, and now you you, I'm sure you knew his family and everything else. Absolutely, you know? yeah. You don't want to let down the family. You don't want to be the one. Knocking on a door and saying, oh, guess what? And I'm certainly not discounting the fact
0: that you got shot in the head that night. But the pressure that he was under, I I can't can't deny that at all. Absolutely not.
2: And I couldn't fathom the roles reversed. And for him to have the wherewithal to engage and then come back and help him and Mm. get him to the hospital with a clear head.
1: I got to see if I could find the shot spotter from that night. And then you guys will understand... How fast he was shooting. He, you know, and dumped the mag, combat reload, and started shooting more. Your partner? Yeah. Okay. Because we always rehearsed. That was 2016. That was a couple months after the Dallas 5. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had come back to work from an injury, and it was it was a new department. And, you know, after the Dallas 5, they started uh, pairing us up in, in cars. And that's why I chose Tommy as my partner because I was familiar with him. I knew he had his shit together. And uh, <clears throat> we always rehearsed every time we'd get in the car, but yeah, Tommy, what do we do if one of us goes down? And he, we came up with the plan to just fucking fire every round you have until the threat stopped. Mm. So, you know, just dump them. That's, we always rehearsed it every single night, and Tommy stuck with the plan. He just dumped his mags and he didn't. Tommy didn't know the suspect was hit because this the dude was uh, hopped up on PCP. Mm, so he yeah. took a round in, in the upper back, which nicked his aorta or something. He was able to run another block and a half. He ran into the— Wait, he
0: ran a block and a half with a nicked
2: aorta? Yeah. Holy cow. PCP in bed, guys.
1: Yep. Holy he cow. He actually ran into the, the casino parking garage, stole a golf cart, Drove around the garage trying to get out of the garage with the golf cart. Couldn't find the exit, so he hopped over the wall onto Pacific Avenue, which isn't that far of a hop. Gets on the Pacific Avenue, runs up to a car that's waiting at a red light, tries to carjack a woman at gunpoint. She takes off through the light, and then he runs another half a block and collapses in the bushes and
0: bled out. Wow! I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. You, you know, you, I've seen officers get minor gunshot wounds fingers, hands, stuff like this, and bleed out and they'll die. Yeah, These guys, you know, they got yeah. a nicked aorta and he's running around for another 10 or 15 minutes.
1: Yeah, it's messed up.
0: Yeah, I know. They, they're just made out of rubber. <laughs> yeah. They really are. But you have a very long road ahead of you after you finally get stabilized. Yeah. How long were you in the hospital? So I was
1: in a coma for,
0: they put me in a medically induced coma. Did they at least shave the rest of your balls? <laughs>
1: No, nah, they let that shit grow.
0: Terrible. <laughs> you walked out of the hospital like this. <laughs> yep. Got <an> Afro brown.
2: Afro. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. A good one. <laughs> um,
1: I think I was in a. That was the third. So I was in the hospital for twelve days in ICU for twelve days before they stabilized me enough to be comfortable that I could be moved to a, a rehabilitation facility, hmm. and I was. The crazy thing about being in that coma was I could hear things going on around me.
0: Oh, don't tell me yeah. this. Please. This is this is this is like my worst nightmare.
1: Yeah, and I, I didn't know, you know, it wasn't specific. I didn't know what was being said. I just I could hear it and I was um what do you call it? I was um I can't think of the word. I was um like turning it into my own thoughts. So I would I was having dreams. If somebody was in a room talking about, let's say it was a couple of my boys, like, damn, we were just at the bar with him drinking, and here he is now. I was having a dream that I was with my boys at the bar having drinks.
2: All it's just running through your mind as you're in a coma.
0: Yeah. Do you remember when you went through your medical training, and do you remember them telling you, do not say anything over somebody who you think is dead? Yeah, when you're doing CPR on someone. Do not say anything. They'll remember it and that's that's the same line right now. Yeah. Now here's something that's that's going to be heartbreaking for everybody. When's the first time you were able to contact your wife? She, um so she was actually there. Yeah, but you so you you got to speak with her before you were put into the coma. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. no. Nope. I didn't see her until I came,
2: they brought me out of the coma. Do do you know how they told your wife?
0: Yeah. <laughs> she told you. I'm assuming she said this to you. Yeah,
2: Yeah, and the crazy
1: thing about this whole story is my wife, I was in a bad place at that time. I was out a lot drinking with with the boys because I was trying to get it in before the baby came (laughs) because I knew once the baby was there, it was over. So I was hitting it hard, and she was was mad at me because I was always out, and she was having these dreams that I wasn't going to be at the birth, that something was going to happen to me. And then she was thinking that it was going to be because I was drinking maybe I'd leave the bar drunk and get to an accident that's why I wasn't going to be at the birth and she dreamt that I mean they went to the house and told her and also I dreamt that evening before I dreamt that I was shot that I had gotten to a shooting and I remember waking up terrified I told her I was like I, I just I had a dream a nightmare that I got shot I got to call and tell Tommy but I never got a chance to call and tell Tommy and so when I left for work that night, she went to sleep. I spoke to her one more time before she's like, "I'm getting tired. I'm gonna to go to bed." I'm like, "All right, I'll, I'll see you in the morning, babe. Love you." And we hung up. And that was it. And she woke up to a knock. No, uh, no, a friend of ours at the time. She was a coworker. mine, she called my wife. She's like, "Um, are, are you, can you uh, come downstairs?" She's like, "For what?" She's like, I- "I'm out front." And my wife wasn't thinking that she was gonna get um told that I was shot. She was thinking because our two friends were out at a restaurant. She thought maybe her husband and her, her and her husband had gotten into a fight. So the wife, my coworker came to talk with my wife. And when she opened the front door, she said she just saw patrol cars and a sea of cops. And the first thing she said, she asked them was, is he alive? Because she just had that feeling. She knew. She knew when she was coming down the stairs of our house that this is what she was about to be told. Yeah. So when she opened the door, she's like, is he alive? And they're like, yeah, but we have to go right now. So they they put her in a in car, patrol car, and rushed to the hospital. And when they got to the hospital, and I credit my wife with being way tougher than I am. She was nine months pregnant. They get her to the hospital. Uh, they tell her... I'm in surgery. The neurosurgeon will be out shortly to, to speak to you. And she's in the medical field, so she's thinking, like, neurosurgeon, like, what the hell? She didn't know I was shot until she thought maybe car accident. And when she heard neurosurgeon, she's, like, thinking, like did, I, like, did I hurt my spine or something? Am I paralyzed? And then when she spoke to the surgeon, he told her flat out, you know, your husband was shot in the head. I'm sorry. I did everything I could. I don't know if he's going to—we don't know if he's going to make it. And she's— she, I just found this out not too long ago that she dropped to her knees when she heard that.
2: Especially she didn't go into birth right there. And that's going to labor. And this is
1: where I, this is why Uh, I credit her with being tougher than me because she kept her composure, made sure the baby stayed safe, made sure I got the best care I could have gotten. And was also dealing with our other two daughters being at home while not knowing if her husband was going to
0: survive. Well, that was always my fear my fear during my shooting you know and when i when i in 2013 i never carried my cell phone with me when i was doing a job mm. it was always in the car mm. i wasn't one of those guys you know it was a flip phone i didn't really care about it and so my incident over the course of 2 hours that we were hold this guy was was barricaded I get into the ambulance when I finally do. First person I call is my wife because I'm afraid of that situation where somebody heard something. Yeah, exactly. And they're going to call and say, there's a, there was a shooting in town. Is your husband working? She's going to say yes. She's going to try to call my cell phone, and I'm not picking up.
2: Yeah. I, I call my wife seven minutes after the shooting. Seven minutes after the shooting because I know the grapevine. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a shooting. Mike's involved. And they tell you after you're involved in a shooting, you have to go to the hospital. Yeah. So I was waiting for someone to call and say, There's been a shooting. Mike's going to the hospital. Right. So I called her on the phone real quick. She came up to the scene that night. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> but I had, I fully manscaped that night. So I was all right. <laughs> <laughs> the lucky. <laughs> See, the, somebody always has the better.
0: <laughs> the people who were at home, whether you're a female officer or a male officer, it doesn't matter. The people at home, the, the pressure that they take, I can hardly imagine what they go through. You walk out the door to go to work, Mm -hmm. normal day, yep, and there is not a guarantee you're coming home. No. There's a high percentage that you're coming home, but there's not a guarantee. Yeah. And And they got to live with that. Absolutely. Every shift. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The
1: crazy thing is, too, like, I always think it's not just, you know, police officers or first responders. That's just anybody in, in life. You know, that's the biggest. Get into a car accident going to work. Yeah, that's the biggest thing where I feel like people don't um, appreciate that you're not guaranteed to come home the moment you walk out your front door.
0: In a, you're right. right. You're it's a blessing just in, to come in
2: home. any field. I mean, look at this, uh, the football player, that DeMar Hamlin. Yeah. Mm. He almost died right on the field that night. Exactly. You never expect that. It could
1: be just a regular person. You, you know, doesn't matter who you are. You could go to 7-Eleven or Wawa or whatever, but might, whatever it may be. And you don't come home that night.
0: Now your first conversation with your wife that you, when you were able to, mm-hmm. you want to let us in on that one?
1: Yeah, I you know they woke me up out of the coma and I saw her. We hugged, kissed, and she was talking to me, but I wasn't able to talk yet. I, w- I couldn't form. She said, "You know, hi, honey, I, I love you," and I couldn't say "I, I love you back." Like, I just, like, mumbled it, and she's like, you love me? And I was like, I do. And I, I, I put my hand up for a high five. Like, I wanted to like high five or to let her know I was okay. And, you know, we talked a little bit, but I really don't remember specifically because I was in and out of consciousness because they had me doped up on so so many pain meds.
0: And the funny thing about pain meds, too, is that your emotions get the better of you. <clears throat> yeah. you, know, you oh, yeah. But I a doubt. when you're on those pain meds you cry real easy and first i don't know what it is i've 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 experienced it it's it's not fun
1: (laughs) yeah i don't remember if i cried i was just really aggressive okay i was still in in fight mode
0: and you spent all this time in the hospital obviously your your was your daughter born while you were in the hospital yeah 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 she
1: was born about a little less than two weeks later
0: over two weeks i'm sorry and what was can you give us that daughter's first name Lucy. Lucy. That's yeah. Lucy. Okay.
2: But we didn't know. That, that wasn't after the elephant. Really? <laughs> no, no, absolutely okay. not. Good, 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 good. Her middle name's like gunshot, is it? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: no, I, I push, I push for that but my wife. she didn't. <laughs> it's
2: better than
0: what I was going to name my kid, either asshole or Slobodan, one or the other. Um, you spend all this time in a rehab facility. I'm assuming you had to learn how to walk, how to talk, how to communicate. Yeah,
1: I had to do – it's basically like a reset button on life. I had to learn how to do – Read, s- write, yeah, everything. Everything. as yeah. Yeah. Simple as just brushing my teeth and getting dressed and using the restroom.
0: Did you ever lose hope during this time?
1: Uh, a ton. Yeah. All the time. I, mean, I was angry at life. I remember thinking, like, why me? Why me? Yeah. Like, why didn't I – like, I don't want to live like this. I remember thinking, like, why didn't I just die? I was mad at my partner for a little bit like you know why did he why the fuck did he save my life like, I was just angry at everybody including myself mostly myself
0: How did you cope with that
1: I just thought about my family my friends and everyone that was back home that was supporting me There were strangers that I didn't know were raising money to help my family there's kids were from a gym, the local gymnastics uh, gym by where I live had a fundraising event where it was like they were doing pushups against cops and just they, there were people that didn't know me from a can of paint holding fundraising events to help my family because they supported the cops. And this was, as I said, right after Dallas five. So I was just seeing hate all the time. Yeah. Getting called names, getting spit on. So I didn't think nobody liked the police. And they always say there's a silent majority. And I
0: saw it for sure. After my shooting. Now you're, you're in the, Rehab facility for how long? Um, Two and a half months. So two and a half months going through all these different, this range of emotions of being angry, of, you know, wishing that you would have, you would have not survived the shooting. And, you know, if (laughs) with, with, with our stuff, we, we survived unscathed physically and we were able, we were left to our own devices and we at least had the ability to go out and drown it in alcohol. Mm-hmm. You didn't even have that. <laughs> no. You just have to sit in a room yeah. watching reruns of Friends right. over and over again. That's
2: what I do every day. <laughs> yeah, <it> was,
0: <laughs> you know? It wasn't that
2: bad.
1: <clears throat> but actually, <laughs> I asked my wife to bring me headphones, and I, I got lost in music. And I remember even being, I can't rap, but I remember being <laughs> doped up on, I think it was fentanyl or whatever. And I was like, I just came up with a rap. I was talking to my boys on my phone. And I just like I rap some crazy freestyle, and they're like, "Dude, where the hell did you come up with that?" I was like, "I don't know, just like just flowed out." No, that was impressive. And um, just my solace not only was music, but thinking about my family. I wanted to be an example. I got out of the victim mindset, and I I've always been a fighter. So it was just it was just
2: another fight. And now you got a you got a hell of a fight on your hand. Yeah, I was going to say too. How uh, how frustrating was it? To go through rehab, to, to trying to do things that you used that's to do the, second nature. That's the one thing they don't have at Three Acres. Three that's Acres
0: one. is one of our sponsors. Mm-hmm. Three Acres are luxury condominiums in Jersey City. Okay, they have everything else, but they don't have a rehab facility.
2: Hey, hey listen, maybe they'll get one there.
0: Yeah, now, Bear now, now that we now that we bring it up, maybe they will. Because <laughs> uh, that would be that would be more of a more accommodations that would suit your um, heroism, your ability to move forward and fight. You know, yeah. accommodations and rehab facilities usually aren't, you know, it's not a five star hotel. You're there to, to heal. Absolutely. But it should be. Right. You should get the best beds. You should get the best and care. I, I, I did. My wife, you know,
1: credit to her again, she fought. She was, she's like a pit bull. She fought workers' comp because, you know, believe it or not, I don't know if this is going to shock you guys. Good thing you're sitting down. Workers comp didn't want to pay for anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. <laughs> they, didn't,
1: they, they didn't want to send me to the facility I ended up going to. My wife had to fight with them and they were like, no, we're not going to do it. She's like, all right, fine. I'm going to go to the media and let them know how you're yeah. how you're being. And as soon as she said that, like, oh yeah, you know, whatever he wants.
0: It should be whatever you, you, yeah, exactly. you almost lost your life while doing your job. Yeah. Protecting somebody. And even the, the. The guys that took over the state,
1: I mean, the state guys that took over the city, the state takeover, they even threw it in the PBA's face that they were paying paying me still. They're like, you you damn well should keep paying him. Exactly. And he got shot in the head. Like they were like, when it was through contract negotiations, they're like, hey, listen, we're paying for your officer who was shot, and they're like, like why even bring that
2: up? Yeah, exactly.
0: God, these the, people the, suck. So your wife is is a is a brilliant person because. Being an officer in your situation, you have an enormous amount of power through the media. A hero in blue gets shot, and somebody doesn't want to take care of the aftermath. Right. Mm. Yeah. So when you come out and you see daylight and you're wheeled out, I've I was seen the pictures. Say, come,
2: coming out of the hospital.
0: Yeah. You see that daylight. Should have went to the Grand Saloon. She really should have went to the grand saloon grand saloon takes care of us as one of our sponsors but they 940 van houten avenue they they love our they love their police there they love the military love the first responders but what did you do the first
1: so they they prepared me for leaving the hospital and the craziest thing about leaving was i thought i was in my basement at home like i thought they brought the hospital bed into my basement at home and They were going to take, because I remember thinking, how the hell are they going to get this hospital bed
2: up my (laughs) stairs? (laughs) How'd they get it down here in the first place? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, because they were (laughs) like,
1: you know, we're we're getting ready to go. The ambulance is here, getting ready to to, to take you. And I'm thinking, like, how the hell are they going to get me out? Like, where are they fitting the ambulance on the street? (laughs) And when they brought me out, I just saw daylight, and I heard cheering and clapping.
0: I've seen the video. I remember seeing the video when it was happening. Really? Yeah, it was on... Facebook or one of those.
1: Yeah, I couldn't believe I had that much support, that there was that many people. I just remember seeing a sea of people clapping and cheering me on. And the only thing I could think to do was, you know, salute and give a thumbs up.
0: Could you talk at this point?
1: Yeah, a little bit, but not loud. I just, and there were so many people, I was overwhelmed. I just remember, all right, let me salute, say basically saying thank you and give a thumbs up to let everybody know that I'm I'm still in the fucking fight.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. Now yeah. you go home, and <clears throat> is there still a lot of attention on you when you get home?
1: Well, that was the when I was going to the rehab facility. Oh, when you got out of the hospital to the rehab facility. Yeah, I, and when they got me in the ambulance, I, I cried because I was so overwhelmed with the
2: amount of support. As soon as those doors
1: closed, I bawled my eyes out.
2: I'm surprised you weren't crying even going through it because I know I would be. I was, yeah. I was too angry. I was just you know, in, a, in a fight
1: mode to cry. I just wanted to keep pushing forward. So the, when you talk, when I got
0: home... And when you got out of the rehab I facility, you finally get home. I'm assuming you've seen your newborn daughter
2: at this yeah. point, yeah. see yeah. your children, you know.
1: Yeah, my wife had brought them up to to
2: see to visit me at the rehab facility. That was why well, I'm sure your your wife had to tell your daughters what was going on. Like, how was that for her? That had to be tough. That, yeah, she said... I that mean, was, how, how old were your daughters, if you don't mind me asking, at that point?
1: They were... Well, let me think about this. They were five and seven.
2: Yeah, too young to really understand. Yeah, and
1: my wife—that was one of the things she said. She was going through her head with how was how is she going to tell our daughters that I was dead, and when they told her that I wasn't going to make it, and we didn't tell my my kids our kids that I was shot in the head until I came home and I was safe. We just told my wife told them that I was chasing a bad guy and I tripped and I fell and I hit my head. And my middle daughter, she is very intuitive. I remember her looking at me because I had half my head missing. She, she would look at looking at me and I could see her, the gears turning in her head. And she's like, daddy, when you fell, did you fall on a pointy rock? Is that why your head's pushed in like that? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's what happened. And daddy tripped and fell on a pointy rock and it pushed my head in. And she's like, it's going to pop back out, right? Like a water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, honey, it's going to pop back out. eventually, Sooner or later. Yeah. <laughs> Takes time. And it wasn't until... Uh-huh. I came home and I, they knew I was home safe that we sat them down and told them together. So I wanted them to know the pow- the actual power that guns have in case that, you know, we yeah. have friends with guns in case they were at a friend's house and, you know, somebody pulls out a gun to let them know, like, you know, get the fuck out of there.
0: Hmm. Now you get, you start to get on the men, you get home. They yeah. put a six months. You said, what do you get a plate in your head?
1: It's yeah. It's like a medical grade plastic. Okay. They 3D printed it. They so you
0: can use the microwave.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm like cousin Eddie. You know?
0: <laughs> that's exactly where I was going <laughs> you know, with it.
1: <laughs> I, I I pass out, and forget
0: who I am for a half hour, and piss my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, you just start giving that look up in the sky. Yeah, I can't. No, no I can't problem with magnetometers or anything
1: like that. <laughs> I I can't go down the uh the the, the snow the snow sleds. Either. <laughs>
0: yeah. no, I got I don't want to fuck up the part in my hair. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um. How long did it take you to learn how to walk?
1: Mm. Uh, without, without assistive devices? Yeah. I mean, at least two, at least two, no, three years. Three years. Yeah, like two to three years to start walking without any assistive, assistive devices. I initially had to walk with a, I had a crutch that wrapped around my wrist and the mm. right arm. And then I had a, a brace from the back of my knee that kept my ankle and my knee locked. Because like, I would step, my knee would like hyperextend. And I had no control over my ankle. I would step and my ankle would roll. So this brace would keep my ankle <clears throat> steady and my knee from snapping back. Between that and the crutch, that's what I used to walk.
0: Now, did you lose any 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 of your brain? Oh yeah, he
1: did. Yeah, I got pictures of that. I mean, my brains were like I legit got my brains blown out. Like my like mind blown has a different dude, you, kind. of... You're fucked
0: mindset. up, dude. You were <laughs> fucked up beyond belief with your sense of humor. <laughs> do you, Do you know what caliber bullet was? Yeah, is it is a, a 38. Now the reason I asked that is because did you notice any personality changes? Was Josh going to work that night different than Josh now? Um. I mean, actually, this is more of a question for your wife, but what has your wife told you as far as your personality has changed?
1: Uh, So, at the evict, when we got to address the two suspects that went to jail, in her impact statement, she said to them that I was made up before I left for work that night. She said I was made up of a billion pieces. And after, she said she only got a handful of me back. Hmm. So, you know, obviously uh, I'm not the same. But I, I feel maybe now this far out, like I'm starting to become me. I'm still a crazy fuck because I, I was being before. I'm just not as You're a like little I, more reserved now. Yeah, I'm smarter now.
0: <laughs> well, the reason I say that is because I don't know his name's Phineas, and in the in the late 1800s, he was a miner, and he's tamping dynamite into the rock. They're going to blow it with a with a long tamping rod, and the dynamite goes off, and it shoots the rod through right here and it comes out here yeah this guy before this accident was a kind gentle man and after the accident he became a womanizer became a drunk he became fighting and everything but eventually after about nine years he went back like his, mm-hmm. that neuroplasticity in the brain the brain repairs itself the body is an amazing organism it absolutely organism. is yeah
1: and i i was angry for a while and it took me a lot of mental health treatment. It took a lot of work to get to where I'm at today. Like, I'm not as angry as I was, and that's also like, that anger that I felt that also
0: uh, almost drove me to suicide. Because you didn't want to live. What was what was your thinking? Because I've been in that spot, and I know there's a, there's a darkness to it, but there's always a there's always a, an initial reason behind it. So, the way I grew up, it was a, a
1: rough upbringing. My dad was very uh, physically violent towards myself, my mom, my siblings. I'm guessing Florida Avenue. No, no,
0: no. <laughs> that was when I was kid. That when I was a kid, that was a Puerto Rican section. Oh yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, it still, it still was when I got yeah. off Florida, Georgia, like that, that, area, that yeah. area right there, Ducktown. But um, I saw myself, and I always promised myself. Growing up after my parents split up, that I would never be like my father. I would never lay my hand on a female. I would never be aggressive towards a female, and that's I was becoming him. Mm -hmm. Where I was, my wife and I would get into an argument, and I'd freak out. I would like break a, a dish or or something. Like I'd just throw whatever it might have been. My kids would knock something over. I'd yell at them. Yeah, you know, they're they're just being kids. But I was just angry at the world, and I took it out on everyone else. And because I saw myself become my father, I felt they would be better off without me.
0: So after I, the accident or before the accident? After after yeah. yeah. How long
1: did that last for? That was like a couple of years going. Mm-hmm. That was at least two years of just I was always angry, getting into arguments with my wife, yelling at the kids, and.
2: Here it is. Your wife almost lost you, and now you're changing. Yeah, and and she just, had a lot of anger issues from that, also. You know, everything she was, she put... but she handled it way better yeah. than I did. You
1: know, she is an is an angel. Like I am blessed to have her because she had to not only take care of our n- newborn daughter, our other two daughters, she had to take care of me too, because I I couldn't get up to walk to the bathroom if I had to pee in the middle of the night. I would have to wake her up to help me walk to the bathroom and use the restroom. And if, you know, if I had to take a shit, I didn't have the strength on my left side or the balance to wipe myself. So she would have to wipe my ass for me too. Wow.
2: It's another kid. Yeah, exactly. And you have a newborn at home too at this point. Yeah. How how big are your shits,
0: dude? (laughs) Oh, you're talking about, oh, I get it. I get it. (laughs) Um, That is something that, Jeez, your wife is something special. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And this What's is her name? why. Laura. Laura.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's why I say she's tougher than
2: I am. You're and, waking her up in the middle of the night when you have a newborn at home that's probably not sleeping through the night. So she's not sleeping. She's waking up for you. She's waking up for the baby. Yeah. And there's nothing you could have done for the baby back then. Nope. You couldn't do anything for yourself.
1: No. And I remember there was times like I have i have the strongest bladder, I think, in the world. <laughs> There's t- there was times where I would just lay there and just hold my piss for as long as I could.
0: No, there's a trick. You, you roll over on your side and you curl up in a fetal position and it expands the bladder. That's the trick. Oh, really? You well, tell them now.
1: Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, even then, like, I couldn't roll. I, like, I <laughs> You're stuck, back. man. You're
0: stuck. I'm sorry, buddy. You're yeah. screwed. Pinch, uh, yeah. pinch the head. <laughs> so what, what changed, though? What changed? So
1: when I came up with the plan to end my life... I didn't I, I knew I was, because I lost my brother to suicide I didn't want to make it messy cuz I didn't want nobody that I knew to find me and I didn't want to make it look like a suicide cuz I didn't want I wanted my family to be taken care of so I was going to make it look like an accident or clean and I hit it so well my wife never had an idea My mom, my sister, my partner—nobody ever had a clue that I was actively thinking and had a plan. And it wasn't the person that saved my life was Bill. Bill. Bill Mazer. Bill Mazer. And there's no coincidences in life. And fortunately, at that time, Billy was retired from the the PD, and he started working for. It's called Acadia Healthcare. It's a mental health. Uh, company
0: as a matter of fact billy is good friends with with um the irish angel oh, yep. really? yeah really yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah so billy fortunate for me through his experience through his job he knew that you know that i'm not okay N- nobody's gonna be okay after what happened to me and he called me up one day out of, not out of the blue because we talked all the time. He called me up. He's like, oh, he's like, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, no, nah, I'm just sitting at home chilling. He's like, are you dressed? And I'm like, yeah, why the hell why the fuck are you asking me that? I'm like, you want to know what I'm wearing? <laughs> yeah, just messing around. <laughs> and he's like, no, he's like, I just want to know if you're dressed, because I want to come pick you up and I'm gonna take you to lunch. I'm like, all right, cool. So he comes, and picks me up. We go to we go to a local diner, and we talked on the on the ride there. Nothing was said about you know, how I was doing. We get to the diner. He sits across the table from me and he's like, yo, how are you doing? How you been? I'm like, I'm good. You know, that's the default answer. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. fine. And he's like, but no, seriously, like, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm good, bro. I'm, I'm okay. He's like, but how are you doing for real? And I'm like, why the fuck do you keep asking me the same question? I'm like, I'm good. I told you I'm good. And then he posed the question a different way to me. He said, how are you feeling emotionally? And when he said it that way, I'm like, fuck, man, he knows. And he and he's the first person I flat out said, Billy, I'm actually thinking about killing myself. And like it felt like a weight was lifted off my chest and my shoulders when I said that. And I expected him to be like, what the fuck? He was like, I know. I sat back, I'm like, what do you mean you know? He's like, well, you know, you've been through a traumatic event. You know, these types of you know, tra- traumas bring up deep, deep-seated you know, traumas from your past, your childhood, and everything. it's just a normal course of events. And he's like, "I want to get you help." I'm like, "How are you going to help me?" And because of his company, you know, they own multiple, numerous healthcare facilities all over the country. He got me to go to this place in Arizona called Sierra Tucson. Mm-hmm. And I went away there the first time for a month and as we were talking earlier about success and like money being success the first time I was there I met multi-millionaires that were drug addicts and alcoholics because of you know some type of trauma they suffered they were able to be successful and make a ton of money but they still suffered and here you think like what is somebody that has the world by the balls what do they have to worry about and now everybody suffers
0: some type of trauma believe it or not there are many many, many high functioning alcoholics that are ultra successful, yeah, because their company lets them get because they do such a good job, their company lets them get away, take off here, come in late here, right, yeah,
2: as long as you're getting a job done, they don't care what you're doing aside you exactly. keep making us money, you keep making money,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I met all these people <clears throat> there that and hearing their stories, I was initially I was afraid to share my story because I I didn't want to talk about what happened to me. I
2: Especially just, outside of law enforcement.
1: Yeah, exactly. You don't want to tell civilians
2: what's going so, uh, on.
1: Exactly. I'm listening to everybody tell their stories. I'm like, I can't fucking share this. You know, there's men, these successful businessmen, talking about being molested as, as kids, as children. And they going in detail about stuff. And then listening to women talking about how they were you know, brutally raped or whatever, whatever stories they were telling. I'm like... I. My shit does not compare to that. Like, I'm not sharing this at all.
0: Comparison is the thief of joy.
1: Absolutely. And it took me a while to finally build up the courage to share my story because I'm listening to all these other patients. Like, if they can do it, I can do it too. So I shared my story. And those same people that I admired for their strength and surviving what they survived, they came up to me and said that they admired me for my strength for surviving what I survived and I motivated and empowered them to be stronger to rec- in their recovery and their sobriety. Like I gave them perspective with whatever they were going through.
0: Is this what led you into your new life in, into, into speaking in and yeah. Josh Vidal foundation? Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So I, yeah. Another thing of why I wanted to commit suicide, why I wanted to die by suicide, was I felt like I had no purpose anymore in life. Yeah, I couldn't. Sounds familiar, yeah, doesn't I it? Couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't go to work and pr- produce for my family. I Start a podcast, money. it
0: seems to work. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's
1: easier to come on, to come on. (laughs) You could just leave. You don't have to help us break down and all that. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I have no rules when I leave here.
0: in all all honesty, it's it's a common thread among somebody who's gone through a traumatic incident, loses their career. You went to work one day and never went back again. Exactly. And now what? Now, what do you do?
2: Yeah. It's something you 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 put your whole heart and soul into. You know, like I could tell you're a guy that loved the job too. Yeah. You know, and now all of a sudden that job is gone. Yeah, like you said, mistake. it gives you no purpose. Mm-hmm. You just sit there, like, after my shooting, the, the investigation took 53 weeks. And you couldn't work for those 53 weeks. I sat in the house. I felt like a, a pile of garbage. Couldn't do anything. You know, you couldn't go out and get work. You couldn't do a goddamn thing. Right. I felt like I'd, I had no purpose in life. Yeah. And that's what gave me purpose
1: when I was in that facility hearing. All these people come up to me and tell me that I inspired and motivated them to be stronger in sobriety or recovery and that they would remember me, you know, for the rest of their lives. They're like, you know, you should do, you should speak to more people than just us. If you can empower us, you can empower so many more other people. And I'm like, you know, there's something there. I, when I came out, I came home. Uh, one, I was a changed person. I wasn't angry as I was before I went in. I appreciated life and what I had. I realized that what I went through what i where I was at that moment could have been worse and I remind myself to this day about that every single day that what happened to me and just anything in life in general could always be worse. so Billy yeah. got me connect with talking to
0: people It's nothing like coming home from a from the the first hug coming home from a rehab facility. I can attest to this one. Mm-hmm. You know, you you get that stuff ripped away from you, and then when you get it back, you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yep. I get it. Yeah, it was incredible. Well, so the Josh Fidel Foundation, tell tell us about that.
1: Okay, so that was actually a nonprofit foundation that my wife and I started after the shooting because so much was given to us. So much money was raised for us by so many people from all over the country, even the world, they were like, you know what? We want to pay it forward. We want to give it back to those that either suffered a similar injury. Initially, it was just for cops. We like, we want to help a cop going forward if it happens similar to what happened to me. And then we got to thinking, like, why just keep it police officers? Then we opened it to all first responders, and we were like, but everybody, you know, suffers trauma and loss. And then we're like, let's just give it to whoever needs it in the community. Just... To pay it forward.
0: So it's community specific or is it nationwide or it's, worldwide?
1: Wherever. Yeah. Wherever we hear. I mean, it's mostly word of mouth. We, we but we've helped people all over the country.
0: I got to tell you something, Josh. So the night, the night that we met, you gave me your card and it says on there, Josh Vidal foundation and <clears throat> on my desk at home. And this is no bullshit. I'll take a picture for of it when I get home for you on my desk. Sit your card because when I came home that night, I put your card on my desk and I sat it where I wouldn't normally sit a card. Yeah, and that card hasn't moved. And every single day, I'm not kidding you. Every single day, I look at that card. Yeah. Do you have the quote? Like, is it the
1: quote part or the, the front part? The
0: front part. Oh, okay. The front part. And I just look at that. And there there are times, like Michael, tell you we we have our moments. You know, mm-hmm. we we have our moments. We can't say we're 100% past our our stuff. But I'll take a look at that car, and I'm like, at least I shaved all my balls today. (laughs) (laughs) I'll
1: never make that mistake again. (laughs) That's why. Why do you think I was late getting
2: here? (laughs) (laughs) God forbid he gets into a car accident. Right? Right? You know how hard
1: it is to work around a a, a, a a Sequoia, a giant Sequoia with one hand?
0: (laughs) Hey, all I know is mine works. It's worked twice. I'm good. Yeah, luckily
1: me too. That was another thing.
0: They didn't know... If that was going to work. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, see, then, okay. And it was a celebration. Now I understand why you were suicidal.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I get Well, actually, it. I got my first erection in the in the ICU.
0: Hot nurse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the I, at, at yeah. that point, they were all hot. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, you got an amazing story. Can, can and I, an
2: amazing I, sense of humor, too. I, yeah. I
1: mean, great. I I like talking about my dick. It's a short story. Can I just tell you <laughs> one
0: more? <thing> like that? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs>
1: Um, so no, actually, when I got, when I got that first erection, because I couldn't go to the bathroom like on my own, they had to cath me, and the, the catheter hurt. So they when they they took the catheter out and they put a, a Texas catheter on, which is like a condom catheter. And it, it, when I got hard, it started it cut off the fucking circulation, so the blood wasn't able to come back out. No, it was like a, a cock, cock ring, ring. <laughs> yeah. And I remember waking up, my dick hurting, and my my one boy was in. So I always, I always had to have somebody watching me because I was a maniac. I, I, was, I was in that fight mode. I was trying to fight to get out of the hospital because I wanted to get going. I didn't want to lay in the bed. So I remember waking up, my dick was hurting, and I saw it was my boy Danny. I'm like, Danny, Danny. He was, he was sleeping. He's like, what? I'm like, my dick hurts. He's like, what do you want me to do about it? Rub it for it? me. I'm like, get the nurse, bro. I'm like, something's not right. I'm like, It hurts. So the nurse comes in. She pulls back the sheet. She's like, "Oh my!" And I was like, "I get that reaction a lot." <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "Well, no, it's engorged." I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "What's that mean?"
0: He gets shot in the head, and <laughs> dies of priapism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah uh, so oh my,
1: my gosh. And she's like, "You know, you, you got an erection, and the blood—it's not coming out." And <laughs> I was like, "I—it I, got hard." She's like, "Yeah," and it was—it was, it was like a celebration. Yes. That it, <laughs> that it got
0: hard. Like it works. <laughs> okay life's worth living now uh, yeah. life's worth living and
1: no there's a, i think there's only been one person ever that's ever
0: asked my wife <laughs> if it works or not <laughs> that's not something i would ask your wife after all the i know shit and that's getting,
1: the thing that's how crazy people are was like, say, hopefully people it's hopefully it
0: was one of our friends that asked
1: it it was a it was a random it was a <laughs> random i think we were at it, like at a bar or something and the wife or whatever this man was like she asked like, you know does it still work yeah of course she's drunk and she's like fuck yeah it still works she's like you know yeah we had another kid and you know he he's good She's look at him she's
0: like i'm still with him it works yeah. maybe he was fishing guys are guys are fucked up because maybe he was fishing like well if his doesn't work mine does yeah. you know this it, doesn't
2: work what are you doing later i
0: wouldn't put it yeah. past him. Yeah. i really or, wouldn't or maybe put the it past a wife him. You know? yeah you know.
1: know it's not every day you get the ride a hero's dick right <laughs>
0: <laughs> by the way tombstone quote bro yeah tombstone quote right there there you go that's a that's a mic drop for you (laughs) josh you have this really amazing story where can we find josh vidal foundation oh so we're on facebook now i have to get the the
1: instagram back up because i don't know what the hell happened but they they deleted our instagram and all the photos we had on there got deleted really Yeah. So i gotta start it back up all right yeah, we, you can find it on Facebook, and we have a PO box. We don't have nothing set up yet because I, I primarily run it, and it's I don't know to do all the uh, logistics of creating like a web page and all that other stuff. So we do word of mouth donations, and sometimes when I go when I go on speaking gigs, I'll donate a little bit of the proceeds from that to the foundation. I give it. I give
0: it back. Well, I I I, I can help you out a little bit on that. We'll talk after the show. Okay, uh, you've. You've got an amazing story. You've gone through suffering, and we didn't even scratch the surface. Like, I know there's a lot more. Oh, uh, yeah, I could go on for a long um, time. I ask everybody this same question. You've gone through an enormous amount of pain and suffering and mental stress, but there's always a lesson in it. So uh, yeah. what has that taught you, all that pain and suffering you've gone through? It could always be worse,
1: and life's too short to be pissed off all the time.
0: I think we need to
2: take a lesson from Josh. You and I. I'll be pissed off than pissed on.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like I just love life that much more, and I I love to have fun. Like I'm constantly making jokes or just laughing. I with my kids, I joke around my kids, my
0: wife. I just with anybody. You know what it does? It it puts people's guards down. You went through something awful, and somebody who meets you for the first time might not want to. They're curious about what you went through, but they might not. Want to talk to you about it? By you being that humor just drops everybody's guard. Yeah. Oh, okay, he's he's just a normal guy, right? You yeah, that's that's a big thing. And yeah, I I usually get,
1: when people ask me like, about what happened to me, the scars or whatnot, I always give them multiple choice like, answers, and I'll say a motorcycle accident, b shark attack. Like I'll just say like off the wall crazy shit. And when I say you know d gunshot to the head, nobody ever picks d until when I tell them they're like nah, you're lying. Because you because know,
0: Google cause, my name.
1: Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> they'll say you know it was a shark attack. I'm like, nah, just kidding. I yeah, made that up. And then I say, no, it was a gunshot. And they're like, nah, you made that up. You're lying. I'm like, nah, I'm like, I swear to God, Google my name,
2: and they'll Google, and they're yeah. like, holy shit, oh, that's crazy. Josh, yeah. thank you so much for coming here. Josh, you, you, have, you have such a great you. outlook, man. You really do. I, thank you for having. Me. I, I I really
1: appreciate you. Thanks, man. I just, you know, it's I, I another thing is I questioned why I survived, and I'm still. Waiting to see
0: why? I, I know. Which, oh, I know why. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know exactly why. You don't see it, but I
2: see it. Yeah, the Josh Vidal Foundation.
0: Look at what you're doing. Look at what you're doing. That
1: that gives you your new purpose now. Absolutely, and it it doesn't pay as well as I would hope. <laughs> Neither does hey. a podcast, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I Just man, my wife works so hard now as a nurse. I just want to be able to make you know. I get my pension,
0: but it's you know penny is. Peanuts. New Jersey's New Jersey's expensive. People don't realize yeah. that. Yeah,
1: so I just want to give my wife some kind of reprieve from working so hard as a nurse.
0: You got some great things for you in the future. Trust I, me when yeah, I tell you. Absolutely.
1: I hope so. I just, I love helping people. That's why I got on the job. Now, can I, so real quick, I when I got to address the suspects, the other two. I actually thanked them
0: (laughs) for being there that night. It took me six years to forgive the guy who shot at me. Really? And once I did, I was like, ah, okay. Yeah. All right.
1: I realized that once I did that, it took the power away from them. Yeah, exactly.
0: And another thing, too, and this is going to sound very strange. You were meant, you're never put... In the, in the wrong place. You are always in the right place at the right time. You were meant to go through what you went through. Absolutely. Because you have another purpose. Yeah. You know, I know I'm sure you love being a police officer and I'm sure you were very good at it, but that's not what you were meant to do. What right. you're doing right now is what you were meant to do. Yeah.
1: And it, I always tell people it happened the way it had to happen. Mm. You know, it had to be me that got shot. Not only, not only for me, you know, the shooting that happened to me, it happened for me, I like mm. to say. Like it happened, I got shot because I was the stronger of the two of us. And you know, Tommy was 20, at that time he was 25, year on the job, wasn't married, no kids. You know, I was 10 years on, I had a wife and kids, I could pension out. What would he do with a year on the job with no wife and yeah. kids? Like who? Making $35,000 a year. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, I'm disabled on my left side. What young 20 something year old or younger would want? A guy that's I guess so to speak damaged.
0: You would save that guy from you would save him from suicide. That's what you did. So you're saving people every day by what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. And that's gonna do it for this episode of the suffering podcast. As always, let's think about all the stuff that we learn.
1: Bring me back for the whole story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, next time you bring Billy up there. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I hope so. Lucky can be all about perspective. If you're gonna shave, finish the job. Pay attention to the signs. They're always there. Sometimes a shot in the head is exactly what you needed. There's no coincidences in life, but most importantly, Laura is Josh's angel. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget you can always listen before you watch. All our audio episodes come out on Sunday before starting on YouTube on Monday. Follow us on all social media. Don't forget to check out our Patreon page, which can be found at thesufferingpodcast.com. Follow Mike at Mike underscore Felice. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And of course, follow the Suffering Podcast. And we will see you on the next episode.